Chapter twenty six of Joan Thursday by Lewis Joseph Vance. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. And then, suddenly, the face of life was indescribably changed. Joan Thursday seemed but a memory, a slight and somewhat wistful shadow in the shadowed depths of that darkling mirror yesterday. In her place, another creature altogether reigned the joan cord of to-day woman actress wife with a gold band round her finger mature initiate of mysteries ripe in wisdom strong poised serenely clear of eye with added graciousness in her beauty conscious of added powers over man but discreet in their employment she thought a great deal about herself in those days not perhaps more than had been common with her in that so dead yesterday but much and more profoundly reading to a new meaning into the riddle of existence so changed had all things become since her marriage before her pensive vision life unfolded rare golden-vistaed promises with another man or in another stratum of society she might have fulfilled herself wonderfully even unto her salvation to begin with she was very happy fond to distraction of her husband she never doubted that he worshipped her he gave her quick wits no cause to entertain a doubt they were together always inseparable she felt that nature must truly have fashioned them solely for one another and could not forget her wonder that their passion should be so mutual so complete she loved him to distraction all his traits his robust swagger his sonorous and flexible tones the flowery eloquence of his gesture his broad easy-going tolerant good-humour the way he wore his clothes and the very cut and texture of them and she ruled him like a despot cord submitted without complaint she was all his fancy had painted her and something more recognising dimly that she excelled him variously although he was quite incapable of analysing these distinctions he served her humbly with unconscious deference to her many excellences she was by way of making him a better wife than he deserved if at times conscious of some little irk from her amiable but inflexible autocracy he reminded himself that she was a finer woman than any he had ever known well worth humouring it wasn't on every corner a fellow'd pick up one like joan he liked to follow her into hotel lobbies and restaurants and watch people turn to eye her the men with sudden interest the women with instinctive hostility it even amused him to quell a too ambitious stare with a fixed grim and truculent regard backed by the menace of his powerful physique it gave a man standing license to swagger to own a woman like joan he came to pander oddly to this vanity would leave joan to go to their room alone while he strolled off to a bar to meet some crony or acquaintance of the day tell his best story and then suddenly excuse himself well slong the wife's waiting for me the response rarely failed ah let her wait have another drink did i ever tell you a lifted deprecatory palm a knowing look no guess i'll kick along to see she's some wife conscious only of his adoration joan was enchanted by their mode of life with its constant shifts of scene its spice of vagabondage she believed she could never tire of travelling 
railroad journeys with their inevitable concomitants of dirt noise and discomfort never discouraged her she really liked them they were taking her somewhere it didn't much matter where she even derived a sort of pleasure from such nauseating experiences as rising to catch a train at four thirty in the morning against their long jumps and there was keen delight in napping in a parlor car chair or with the head upon her husband's shoulder in a day coach to wake all drowsy breathe air foul with coal smoke and peer through a black window-pane shadowed by her hand to catch a glimpse of some darkly fulgent breadth of strange water or the marching defile of great alien hills or a sweep of semi-wooded countryside bleached with moonlight remembering that only a few short months ago the world of her travels had been bounded by fort george on the north coney island on the south knowing neither east nor west she was discovering america even as she was discovering life their route from trenton took them south through philadelphia wilmington baltimore washington richmond and norfolk whence they doubled back by steamer to new york took a sound boat to fall river played boston and drifted through new england in bitter cold weather eventually striking westward again via albany buffalo and the middle country quard drew her attention to the fact that it was a liberal education sometimes she thought pityingly of matthias and wondered if he knew she was married and what she was doing and whether he were angry or heartbroken or eaten up with morbid jealousy and how he would act should chance ever throw them together again she was sorry for him he had lost her if only he had been a little more enterprising she wondered what would have happened if matthias had been more enterprising he could have possessed her at any time during the brief period of their infatuation if he had married her then would she be as contented as she was now with charlie she doubted it quard was so completely his opposite she ceased to worry about the ring she meant to return it some day perhaps though she did not wear it and had never so much as mentioned matthias to quard it remained a possession whose charms tugged at her heart-strings at times she amused herself formulating idle little intrigues with the object if ever set in motion of excusing the appearance of the jewel upon her hand but all her schemes seemed to possess some fatal flaw and she was desperately afraid of the truth meanwhile the ring lay perdue at the bottom of a work-basket of woven sweet grass which she had purchased shortly after her marriage twisted in an old empty needle-paper and mixed in with a worthless confusion of trash such as women accumulate in such receptacles its hiding-place was well calculated to escape detection by even an informed purloiner cord's tardy engagement ring was set with an inferior diamond flanked by artificial pearls joan despised it secretly for a long time it was the sole blemish on the bright shield of her happiness and then the night of their opening day in cincinnati cord escorted her from the theatre to the hotel left her at the door and turned back to see a friend who happened to be playing on the same bill this was quite the usual thing and joan went contentedly off to her room and in due course to bed confident that cord would return within an hour five hours later she awoke to startled apprehension of the facts first that she must have dropped off to sleep without meaning to 
next that quard had not returned finally that it was past four o'clock in the morning with a little shiver of sickening premonition she rose slipped into a dressing-gown called a bell-boy and instructed him to look for her husband some time later the boy reported that the bar was closed and the gentlemen were not to be found it was broad daylight when quard staggered in with the assistance of the same bell-boy and his negro dresser his eyes were glazed his face ghastly his mind wandered he was as helpless as a child with the aid of the boys joan managed to undress the man and put him to bed at once he fell asleep with the cold stump of a half-burned cigar obstinately clenched between his teeth it was an hour before the muscles of his jaw relaxed enough to release it dressing joan left the hotel swallowed some coffee and rolls tasteless to her in a nearby restaurant and wandered about until eight o'clock when she found a drug-store open and consulted the clerk he advised bromo seltzer and aromatic spirits of ammonia armed with these she returned to her husband and shortly after noon daring to delay no longer roused him by sprinkling cold water in his face all other methods having failed even to interrupt his stertorous breathing even then it was some time before she could induce him to swallow the medicine and it required no less than three powerful doses together with much black coffee and followed by a cold bath to restore him to presentable condition in the end however she succeeded in getting him to the theatre in time for the matinee through it all she uttered no single word of reproach but waited on the man with at least every outward sign of sympathy and devotion his remorse when another nap at the hotel after the matinee had brought him to more complete realization of what had happened was touching and as long as it lasted unquestionably sincere joan accepted without comment his lame explanation as to the manner of his temptation and fall during an all-night session at poker with the boys and gave genuine credulity to his protestations that it would never never happen again but three weeks later in chicago he repeated the performance though under somewhat less distressing circumstances as before he left her in the lobby to finish his cigar and chin with so-and-so within an hour he was half led half carried to the room in a hopelessly sodden condition the actor with whom he had been drinking accompanied him apparently quite sober but puzzled and after quard had been helped to bed explained to the girl that her husband's collapse had been incomprehensibly due to no more than three drinks i've never seen nothing like it the man expostulated with an air of grievance there he was standing up against the bar with his foot on the rail laughing and kidding same's the rest of us and he'd only had three whiskies though i will say they was man-sized drinks and then all of a sudden he turns white as a sheet and starts mumbling to himself and we all thinks he's joshing until he keels over limps around if the stuff gets to him like that he's got no business touching it ever these experiences continued at varying intervals and presently joan began to understand that cord had not only primarily a weakness to tempt him but a constitutional inability to assert his will-power after he had surrendered to the extent of a single drink one modest dose of alcohol seemed to exercise upon him a sort of hypnotic power driving him on whether he would or not to the next the next 
and the next until the nadir of unconsciousness was reached it was not that he invariably succumbed to moderate indulgence but that once started he rarely stopped until his identity was completely submerged indeed the way of alcohol with him seemed never twice to follow the same route but its end was invariably the same hoping against hope fighting with him pleading reasoning threatening with him even praying joan endured for a long time much longer than in retrospective days seemed possible even to her for she was honestly fond of her husband far more so than she was ever of any other living being save herself they reached san francisco the third week in april for some time quard had been drinking rather methodically but stealthily a threat made by joan while he was sobering up from his last debauch to the effect that on repetition of the offence she would leave him without an hour's notice had frightened the man to the extent of making him hesitate to add one drink to another except at intervals long enough to retard the cumulative effect but never a day passed on which in spite of her watchfulness he did not contrive to throw several sops to the devil in possession if without ever quite losing his wits detected with reeking breath he would adopt one or three attitudes he was a man subject to the domination of no woman and of no appetite had learned his lesson and now knew when to stop or he was sorry hadn't stopped to think and wouldn't let it go any further or nothing of the sort had happened he had drunk nothing except a glass of soda fountain nerve tonic or possibly it was his cigar that she smelled with the first joan had no patience and since she had a temper it was the last resort in quard's more sober stages seldom employed save when potations had made him either indifferent or vicious in his contrition whether real or assumed she tried hard to believe but his lies never deceived her to these she listened in the silence of contempt and despair on the wednesday afternoon of their week in san francisco the girl did a bit of shopping after the matinee it was half after five before she returned to the hotel and walked into their room to find quard with his coat off seated in a chair that faced the door his back was to the windows through which the declining sun threw a flood of blinding golden light so that joan's dazzled vision comprehended only the dark silhouette of his body she said hello dearie lightly enough in the abstraction of reviewing some especially pleasing purchases closed the door walked over to the bureau put down her handbag and a small parcel and removed her hat then the fact that quard had not answered penetrated her reverie disposing of her hat she looked half casually over her shoulder to discover that he hadn't moved two surmises struck through her wonder that he had fallen asleep waiting for her with poignant apprehension that he had been drinking again but this seemed hardly likely he had been entirely rational and unintoxicated during the matinee she said sharply what's the matter quard made no answer with a troubled sigh she moved to his chair and bent over him his eyes wide and blazing met hers with a look of inflexible hostility and rage his mouth was set like a trap his lips like his face were almost colourless the air was pungent with his breath but intuitively she divined 
that it was not drunkenness alone which had aroused this temper the more dismaying since it was for the time being under control from the look in his eyes she started back as from a blow charlie what's the matter quard opened his lips gulped spasmodically closed them without speaking the muscles on the left side of his face twitched nervously abruptly he shot up out of his chair strode to the door locked it and pocketed the key his face as he turned was terrible to see she shrank away but his eyes held hers in the fascination of fright what charlie what he interrupted with an imperative gesture took a step toward her and shook his hand in her face between his thumb and forefinger glittered something exquisitely coruscant in the sunlight what's that he demanded in a quivering voice she moved her head and assumed bewilderment staggered to recognize the symbol of her broken troth with matthias i don't know what is it you keep moving it around so i can't see there then he cried steadying the hand under her nose instinctively her gaze veered to her trunk its lid was up on the floor lay her work-basket in the litter of its former contents her indignation mounted what were you doing in my trunk she demanded hotly quard's eyes clouded under the impact of this counter-attack momentarily his dazed expression made it very plain that he had taken advantage of her absence to drink heavily and this was even more plain in the blurred accents robbed of the sharpness rage had lent them in which he endeavoured to justify himself i wanted shoe on spender button wanted work basket anger returned his voice mounted and i found this what is it joan snatched at the ring but he drew back his hand too quickly for her it's mine give it to me where'd you get it that's what i want to know none of your business give it to hell it ain't my business i'm your husband got a right to know where you get diamonds he sneered diamonds like this i never bought it no she flamed back you're too stingy stingy am i he faltered swaying that's enough i'm tightwad so's another guy gets chance to buy you diamonds that's the way of it hey you give me that ring charlie joan demanded ominously you've got another good guess coming what i'll give you is just two minutes to tell me the name of the fellow give it to you don't be a fool charlie i don't intend to be a fool any longer you tell me or he checked searching his befuddled mind for a compelling threat with a shift of manner joan extended her hand in pleading give me the ring charlie and be sensible i haven't done anything wrong i can explain well grudgingly he dropped the ring into her palm but immediately her fingers had closed upon it mistrust again possessed him now you tell me very well she interrupted patiently you needn't shout i don't mind telling you now it's my engagement ring your what sharply my engagement ring i was engaged last summer to mr matthias before we began to rehearse the sketch engaged he iterated stupidly engaged for what engaged to be married 
he was in love with me i meant to marry him until you and i met the second time meant to marry who mr matthias we matthias what matthias john matthias the author the playwright he wrote the jade god cord wagged his head cunningly you mean to tell me you was engaged to that guy and didn't marry him certainly i married you didn't i dear and if that's true how'd happen you didn't give him back his ring eh i meant to charlie but he was out of town and i didn't know his address that's likely the actor laughed harshly that's good one that is you going to marry him and didn't know his address expect me to believe that it's true charlie it's god's truth you're a liar charlie i say you're a liar or more i mean it quard waved his hand palm down to indicate his scornful disposition of her yarn then he staggered steadied himself by clutching the back of a chair and conscious how this betrayed his condition worked himself into a towering rage to cover it i ain't no better if you'd ever got a chance to marry that feller you'd have jumped at it he never got away you wouldn't have given him no more chance than he did me you'd have pulled wool over his eyes same way i know what i'm talking about you're a liar damn dirty little liar that's what you are joan's color deserted her face entirely charlie don't you say that to me again and what'll you do think i care i know what you'll do all right because i'm gonna make you do it what do you mean what's more i know now who gave you that ring i was fool not to guess it before i didn't give it to you no miss matthias didn't give it to you no but somebody did give it to you eh that's right isn't it and his name his name was vincent marbridge wasn't it he thrust his inflamed face close to hers leering wickedly marbridge joan echoed blankly vincent marbridge that's the feller to give you the ring he's the feller could do it too got all the money in the world enough to buy dozens of rings enough to buy you all them good clothes you got hold after you threw me down and before i was ass enough to take up with you again of that you were a fool not to get more out of him the insult ate like an acid into the pride of the girl she flushed crimson then in an instant paled again her eyes grew cold and hard that will do she said bitterly you've said enough too much after all i've endured from you your drunkenness your there was a maniac glare in the eyes of the man as he thrust his face still closer and what'll you do eh he shouted violently what'll you do she turned her face aside in disgust of his reeking breath and what'll you do tell me that i'll leave you you bet your life you'll leave me i knew that before you come into this room and i'm sorry i didn't go long ago the hell you are in a gust of uncontrollable frenzy cord struck her sharply over the mouth you go do you hear you damn in blind fury joan flung herself upon him 
sobbing biting scratching kicking he reeled back before that unexpected assault then sobered a trifle by its viciousness caught her wrists held her helpless for an instant and threw her violently from him she fell to her knees lurched over on her side the door slammed he was gone she knew the man too well not to know he would make instantly for the nearest bar the only question was what guise intoxication would assume in him this time it was possible that he would drink himself raving mad and return fit for murder she must make her escape with all possible expedition instantly joan sat up dried her eyes convulsively swallowed her sobs and felt of her bruised mouth before her on the carpet the diamond ring winked sardonically in the sunset light she pondered savagely the wide and deep damnation it had wrought in her life it seemed impossible that only a few minutes had elapsed since she had entered this room an affectionate patient and not unhappy wife now she sifted her heart and found in it not one grain of the love it had once held for quard this alone would have rendered irrevocable her decision to leave him the thing was over settled finished she gave a gesture of finality with all her heart she hoped that the sketch would go to the devil without her rising she went to the mirror to stare incredulously at the face it presented for her inspection a cruel caricature lined distorted lousy stained with tears at this vision hysteria threatened again with a great effort she fought it down and controlled and smoothed out the muscles of her face now she was more recognizable even her mouth was not seriously disfigured he had struck with the flat of his hand only her lips were sore and slightly but not markedly swollen a veil would disguise them completely at the washstand she devoted some very valuable moments to sopping her face with cold water and particularly her mouth and eyes the treatment toned down the inflammation of weeping rendered her flesh firm and cool once more and left her with a feeling of spiritual refreshment with nerves again under control and her will even more inalterably fixed than before rosin powder completed her rejuvenescence turning to her trunk she took out the tray and paused with a low cry of consternation from the tumbled and disordered state of its contents it was plain that having discovered the ring quard had searched diligently for further confirmation of his suspicions with quickening breath the girl dropped to her knees and hastily but thoroughly ransacked and turned out upon the floor all her belongings within a brief period she satisfied herself of one appalling fact quard had not only insulted and struck her and cast her off he had stooped to rob her her hands were tied she had not money enough to leave him probably with the low cunning and fallacious reasoning of dipsomania he had pouched her savings with that very thought in mind meaning to break with her to have his scene and satisfy his lust for brutality he had also planned to prevent joan's leaving the cast of the lie until a successor could be found and broken in penniless he had argued she would be obliged to play on at least until saturday to earn her fare back east it was cord's practice to carry his money in large bills folded in a belt of oiled silk which he wore buckled round his waist beneath his underclothing 
with a smaller fund for running expenses in a leather billfold more excessively disposed but joan finding a money-belt uncomfortable because of her corsets had adopted the shiftless plan of secreting her savings in a pocket contrived for that purpose in an old underskirt and since she had always held her husband rigidly to account for her individual fifty dollars per week she had managed thus to set aside about three hundred dollars unfortunately it had been their habit to carry duplicate keys to one another's luggage by way of provision against loss so that now she was left with less than twenty dollars in her pocket-book she paced the floor in wrathful meditation pondering means and expedients once or twice she noticed the ring but passed it several times before she paused picked it up and abstractedly placed it on her finger it did not once occur to her that she could raise money by hypothecating the jewel at a pawn-shop by hook or crook she was determined to regain her own money she was wondering what good it would do her to threaten cord with the rest had a wife any right to her earnings under the law after a time she opened her handbag found her personal bunch of keys and unlocked her husband's trunk her pains however went for nothing she investigated diligently every pocket of his clothing without discovering a piece of money of any description but one thing she did find to make her thoughtful cord's revolver removing this last she relocked the trunk and rang for a bell-boy then she put the weapon on the bureau and covered it with her hat the youth who had answered had an intelligent look joan appraised him narrowly before trusting him she opened negotiations with a dollar tip i want you to find my husband for me she said if he's anywhere around the hotel he'll probably be in the bar but look everywhere and then come and tell me you needn't say anything to him i just want to know where he is do you understand yes ma'am you'd know him if you saw him mr quard the actor yes ma'am that's all hurry as soon as the boy was gone she turned again to her luggage selecting indispensable garments and toilet articles and packing them in a suitcase by the time a knock sounded again upon the door she had the case strapped and locked he ain't nowhere about the house ma'am the bell-boy reported he was in the bar a while but he's gone out joan nodded was dumb in thought do you want as i should go look for a man can you leave the hotel joan asked quickly i'm just going off duty now ma'am the night shift came on about ten minutes ago at six o'clock and you think you could possibly find him he took a cab ma'am the driver's stand is in front of the hotel if i can find him i can find where your husband went anyhow it ain't hard to follow up a gentleman as as drunk joan put in when the boy hesitated yes ma'am joan weighed the chance distrustfully but it was at least a chance and this was no time to be careful taking a five-dollar gold piece from her scanty store she gave it to the boy go find him she said and if he seems to know what he's doing just hang around until he doesn't he won't keep you waiting long then bring him to me but first take the suitcase down to the union ferry house check it in the baggage room and give me the check when you bring him back and don't say anything to anybody yes ma'am no ma'am supperless she sat down to wait 
Quard's revolver ready to her hand. Twilight waned, night fell, hours passed, motionless and imperturbable. Joan waited on, the tensity of her mood betrayed only by the burning of her baleful, dangerous eyes. At half-past nine, a noise of scuffling feet, gruff voices, and heavy breathing in the hallway, following the clash of an elevator gate, brought her to her feet. Going to the bureau, she opened a drawer and put the revolver away. There would be no need of that, now. Answering a knock, she threw the door wide. Two porters staggered in, one with the shoulders, one with the feet of cord. The bellboy followed. When they had lugged to the bed that inert and insensate thing she had once loved, Joan tipped them in, and they departed. The boy lingered. Is there anything more I can do, ma'am? Where did you find him? Down on the coast. I don't know what wouldn't have happened to him if you hadn't sent me after him. He was up an alley, had been stuck up by a couple of strong arms. I seen him making the getaway just as I come in sight. She uttered a cry of despair. Robbed, you mean? Yes, ma'am. He ain't got as much as a nickel on him. Overwhelmed, Joan sank into a chair. The boy avoided her desolate eyes. He was a little afraid she might want part of the five dollars back. Hadn't I better send the hotel doctor up, ma'am? Perhaps, she muttered dully. Yes, ma'am. And here's the check for your suitcase. Nothing else? Good night, ma'am. The door closed. Of a sudden, Joan jumped up and ran to the bed in the alcove. Cord's condition was pitiable, but in her excited, no compassion. His face was pallid as a death mask, save on one cheekbone, where there was an angry and livid contusion. His hands were scratched, bleeding and filthy, his clothing begrimed and torn, his pockets turned inside out. He seemed scarcely to breathe, and a thin froth flecked his slack and swollen lips. With feverish haste, she unbuttoned his shirt and trousers and tugged at his undershirt. Then she sobbed aloud, a short, dry sob of relief. She had discovered the money belt. In another minute she had unbuckled and withdrawn it from his body. She took it to the other room, to the light, and hastily undid its fastenings. There were perhaps two dozen fresh new bills, for the most part of large denominations, folded once lengthwise to fit into the narrow silken tube, but someone knocked before she found time to reckon up their sum. Hastily cramming the money, together with the tell-tale belt, into her handbag, Joan took a deep breath and said, Come in. There entered a grave man of middle age, carrying a physician's satchel. He said, with a slight inclination of his head, mrs cord i believe yes joan gasped she nodded toward the alcove your patient's in there he murmured some acknowledgment turning away to the bedside for several minutes he worked steadily over the drunkard while she waited her wits awhirl joan mechanically pinned on her hat presently the physician stepped back into the room removed his coat turned back his cuffs and produced a pocket hypodermic with narrowing eyes he recognized Joan's preparations for the street. "'Is he all right, doctor?' she said, with a faint of doubt and fear. "'He's in pretty bad shape, but I guess we can pull him round all right. But I need your help. You were going out?' She met his eyes steadily. "'I was only waiting to hear how he was. I've got to hurry off to the theatre. I'm late now. If we miss the performance tonight, we may lose our booking. 
and he's just been held up all we've got's what's coming to us next saturday i see and you can do without him his understudy'll take his part we'll manage somehow then i am afraid i shall have to call in assistance a trained nurse do please doctor very well he moved toward the telephone i'll be back in about an hour very well mrs quard he stared perplexed at the door when she had shut it avoiding the elevator and lobby she slipped down the stairs and through a side door to the street in ten minutes she was at the union ferry within an hour she was in oakland purchasing through tickets for her transcontinental flight End of chapter 26